hello, everybody, and uh, I hope everybody had a great week. We got the legendary Joe Cardinal back in the hot seat, um, and he's going to kind of take the reins a little bit today, actually, the whole show, because uh, he's going to talk about his uh, vacation, which I think is pretty interesting, and he's, he's got one of his buddies who I met once at a, at a party um that joe had which was a great party but i was kind of disappointed because he says that um he was going to get julie newmar and raquel welsh to show up and they never showed up at least unless they came after i was here or i left well but, unfortunately tony they got word that you were going to be there so obviously oh you know what and it didn't dawn on me because you know what i got an anonymous text later that kind of said you know meet me at the drake hotel that must have been from one of them and i blew it off i didn't know okay um, but anyway, yes, welcome everybody back. I see Nico just popped in. Hey, what's up, guys? We didn't hey, think Nico was going to make it today, it. but it's great that Nico's yeah. here as well. So uh, anyway, I'm uh, going to shut up. I'm going to let Joe do some talking, and then he's going to introduce uh, our special guest. All right. Well, before we get started and get into the, the trip, I do want to make a plug for our membership site. Um There'll be links like in all of our videos up below. You can find a link to join our membership site. Um, I highly encourage anybody to do it. It's kind of the least you can do. If you appreciate listening to this podcast or watching Tony's free content up on his YouTube, all the instruction, or if you just want to support our lineage of catch wrestling and keep it going, uh, one of the easiest things you can do is join this monthly membership. You know, it's just a simple, small fee. You know, a five bucks donation. It's just like they say on PBS or Sally Struthers. It's just like the cup of coffee, right? You can you can go past one cup of coffee a a month, but it it means a lot to us that you you care enough to support, and we'd appreciate it. So uh, keep that in mind. Anyways, well, and them. tell them about the ten dollar a month option. And yeah, if you if you actually the next level up, if you do ten dollars a month, you actually have access to online instructional content that is not published previously before. So this is not you know, things that you can find on YouTube or other sources. This is new content that we're producing at Tony's, uh, you know, current workout location. I've seen, you know, he'll demonstrate things either with him or some of the guys who we train with. So you'll have access to that in addition. So yeah, obviously if you can do that, that's even better. And it's better for you because you get additional instruction. So, and of course, you know, for those who are looking for, you know, uh, real training in person. There's a lot of check Tony's website out. There's a lot of different options. Obviously the Cadillac version is the tri C where you got basically unlimited access. And Tony does personalized training basically for a lifetime. You know, he's, he's going to be your coach for this. So that's obviously the ideal, but yeah, obviously do what you can. Every, not everybody can afford at the high end. Not everybody can buy videos, but I think everybody can join the membership program. So uh, please consider it. So, yeah, anyways, so Dwayne and I, we brought Dwayne. Dwayne's been uh, my good buddy. I've known him. We've worked on and off together since the 90s. Um, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate to have him back in my life. He came, he's been all over the place. He's originally from Detroit. We won't hold that against him. But uh, he did end up in uh, Boston for a while. But then he uh, came back to the Chicago area. And actually, I'm going to mute myself because I have a loud train coming. So I'm going to stop for a second. <laughs> Well, good. Remind me, because I want to ask Dwayne, after we're all done with your portion of it, um, you know, his take on Boston and Detroit, actually, because Detroit's probably very similar, uh, maybe not as ethnic as Cleveland, my hometown, but um, as far as it being like an industrial city, uh, I would think Cleveland has 
a lot more in common with the Detroit than it would with, with Boston, but I'd like to hear his, his take. No, absolutely. I think uh, there are a lot of similarities from uh, between uh, Cleveland and Detroit more so than with Detroit and Boston. Um, you know, of course, you know, we shared a lake. It was that St. Lake, St. Clair, or whatever, right? As the bird flies. Yeah. Which one is a Huron? Yeah, St. Clair. Lake Erie. 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 Yes. One of those. I can get my lakes mixed up. All right, yes. Uh, and and um, so there, there's close ties, manufacturing towns, of course. Um, um, and the times I visited Cleveland, because I had an uncle who lived, like my grandmother's brother lived to like 113 years old. So we would, you know, we'd go there because, you know, it was like, well, this might be the last time we see uncle, right? So yeah, I've been to Cleveland a few times and it feels felt a lot like Detroit anyway. So, um, and in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to have you here. Yeah. And, um, but definitely, you know, Boston is a, a sort of a different place than Cleveland or Detroit. Um, uh, it's more like an academic town, if you will, right? Because there's a lot of, like, those universities there. Like, I think, like, a, a huge portion of the, population in Boston are like students or people that to deal with the you know with school or whatever so um it's not quite as um what do I want to say I don't know it's not quite as cool as Cleveland and Detroit <laughs> to me <laughs> there you go but, you know it's interesting in its own way right so, yeah cool but I like I'm glad to be back in Chicago and back in touch with with Joe so thanks for having me you're welcome. Well, I've still got some background noise going, but I don't think it's too bad at the moment. Um, but yeah, so, you know, uh, I was able to uh, sucker Dwayne into going into a two-week vacation for me, uh, with me, um, out east to uh, a survival school, specifically the uh, Tom, Tom Brown uh, Nature Tracking and Survival School is the name. And it's a, it's a outdoor wilderness skills um, school that has been there or in general in that general vicinity for over 40 years is my understanding so this is something that started back in the 70s um in the outdoor like um you know outdoorsy survival kind of world he uh this tom brown is a pretty big personality i think because he's just been around for so long he's he's written 18 books i believe um if you're if you've seen the movie there's a movie the hunted um, with Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio del Toro, that is loosely based on you know him as a character in one of his stories. But he's most famous for being a tracker. So um, his story is is that he grew up. One of his neighborhood friends was of uh, Native American ancestry, and his grandfather was an Apache tracker. And so they just spent all their time growing up uh, learning these primitive skills and specifically with a focus on tracking. And so he's helped the police and helped the authorities uh, find people, recover people in the wilderness. And it just kind of uh, grew his reputation. And from that, he decided to make a school for that. And like I said, he's been doing it for years and years. I, I've, I've been aware of the school uh, probably since the 80s. Um, one of the guys I trained Muay Thai with uh, back in the 80s had gone and had kind of talked up the school. Uh, and so it was one of those things always in the back of my mind that I always wanted to try and do. Um, 
but you know, for various reasons of a family, what have you, and also honestly fear a little bit. Uh, I didn't do it. I kept procrastinating and not doing it because, you know, I'm a city boy, you know, much like uh, at least most of us on, on this podcast, we grew up, I grew up very urban. Um, although it's, it's interesting because like for me, even though I grew up, you know, in, in Chicago, I grew up a couple blocks. I was just realizing this when I was there, I, I grew up a couple blocks from the Chicago river. And so even though I was in a very urban environment, as a kid, I would often go exploring right by the river. So it was a little strip of land, you know, maybe only if, but it extended the whole length of the river. And I would just, you know, spend my free time in the summers, just kind of like, I don't know, pretending I was in the army or whatever, and just hanging out there. So I think, you know, even for city kids, I think there are a lot of them, there is that kind of urge to get out into nature, you know, um, I think there is a thing for that. And so anyways, the long story short, this is the second time I've been to the school. Four years ago, I went to what they call their standard class, which is all their fundamental skills that they want you to learn. Uh, this time I decided to go uh, and do two weeks. So when I went uh, back in 2017, uh, you know, you're basically camping out that whole time, which for me would have been the longest I've ever spent, you know, out of doors living in a tent. You know, I've done some weekends a couple of times as a kids with some friends of the family, but nothing where it was just, you know, that long of a stretch. Um, and so I wanted to push that. I want to see, hey, can I do this for two weeks? You know, because there's like for me, the first week I could kind of stretch how long I could go with like not clean clothes. But, you know, two weeks, there's only so much you can pack, you know, so um, I knew this was going to be a new challenge for me. And now, Dwayne, you, you have a background. You were in the Army, so this is not completely foreign to you. You've definitely spent some times in your youth in the woods, correct? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, mostly um, in the woods in Oklahoma and Alaska. But um, I wouldn't say woods of Oklahoma is not where Fort Sill is. It's not a lot of uh, woods, like in the traditional sense, but, um, but yes, yeah, definitely outside. And then Alaska, of course, it's like, you know, a lot of woods. And in fact, I think that's where the Smurfs live, right? Cause they're like mushrooms, you know, they come up to your knee or whatever. So yes, to answer your question. Yeah. Yeah. It was not foreign. Yes. Did this trapper mention a guy by the name of Mike Hainak? I don't remember that name. Okay, because he's a guy that was great, great martial artist that I knew. I've lost touch, but he was into the tracking thing, and he studied with some legendary tracker. So I'm assuming it's got to be this guy. It, it sounds like it, because the, the fact that this guy's been around so long, it seems like a lot of people who are involved uh, in, like, wilderness primitive skills, survival, and tracking specifically trace the roots back to this guy. So it'd be very interesting. I should look him up when, you know, after the show, I'll look up his name. Cause I, I, I bet you that there's a connection there. Um, and that's one of the fascinating things about this is that he's been around for so long and teaching that now he's got people like he's got people who are second or third generation into this. So um, like there's a, one instructor who was there in 2017 his name was Kyle, but he was considered a tracker baby. His mother was pregnant with him when she was taking the classes and so they actually do have classes for, you know, it's formatted differently when you're an adult, obviously it's going to be a little bit more, uh, you know, mature, but they actually have classes for all ages. So they have like uh, programs that they have for um, kids and families and things like that. And so there's some kids who've literally grown up learning these skills. So by the time they're, they reach, you know, like 18 and are able to do, they've already got a lot of these fundamental skills of, you know, fire making and whatnot. They've already got it down. They, they, they got it and they've experienced a lot of the tracking. Um, but it is a fascinating aspect and it's kind of something 
it's kind of a whole other aspect to me of self-defense and self-protection that we really haven't touched on here on this show. Um, but as far as, you know, you know, we often talk about with self-defense, you know, oh, this could never happen to me or I live in a safe neighborhood. But the reality is, is it, it can always happen. You never know you're going to end up in a situation where you might have to protect yourself. And it's a lot like this too, where, you know, gosh, my car could break down, you know, I'm, I'm going on a long road trip and I end up somewhere where I may have to spend the night alone or worse, you know, even longer. And, you know, am I comfortable in that scenario? Do I have the skills to do that? Um, so I definitely think, and it's interesting to me, uh, the parallels, um, the, the overlaps, there's a lot of things that they talk about that we've talked about. Um, one of the big things is awareness, keeping your awareness about you. And they're very much into, you know, uh, uh, now they don't only really do it for like survival, but also part of what one of their ethics and I'll kind of, this is a digression, but they feel that learning these skills and developing this and being comfortable is really the pathway to getting closer to nature. So a lot of people, I think there's like two approaches what I've seen looking online to kind of survival and wilderness skills. And some are strictly about kind of the modern approach. You know, what can I pack in my backpack? Do I have a lighter? Do I have a ferrule rod? Do I have a cordage? Do I, you know, I have basically like a, a, a well-equipped bug out bag with me. So if case I am in an emergency, you know, do can I, and do I know how to use those? Do I know how to put up a tarp for a tent? And all those things are very valid and useful um, but it kind of reminds me of when uh, you and I have talked about like self-defense. There are some people like, hey, I just got concealed carry. I don't need to know how to use my bare hands. You know, if I get into any trouble, I've got my, my either my knife or my gun. I have my tools. But one of our ethics is, well, you know, what if someone breaks into the house and I'm in the shower? You know, <laughs> I need to be also be a weapon myself. I need to be able to have the skills when I don't have the tools. And that's kind of what some of what the approach is here. You know, I may not have, you know, in a worst case scenario, I need to know what I can do with as few tools as possible. And so it's a slightly different approach in that regard. So I think they're both valid. I think you have to learn both. Uh, it's a whole other world to explore. So um, much like martial arts, it's like a lifetime of learning. Um, and honestly, I feel everybody could benefit from this, at least doing the beginner thing. Um, but I don't know, Dwayne, what were your thoughts, initial impressions and things uh, going there? What, what expectations did you have? <laughs> well, I, I tried to go without having a bias of, you know, I was a soldier. But it was a long time ago, right? Um, so I tried to, you know, go with an open mind rather than saying, well, I know a lot of this stuff. Or I've done a lot of this stuff already. Um, and I'm glad I did because that while there is some overlap, there is not really a lot of overlap. And what I mean by that is um, you don't realize it until you are stripped of those tools because we always had fire making. That was always, you know, you took it for granted, right? We had matches and lighters, and whatever, matches that will work underwater, whatever, they get wet or whatever, and they still will work or whatever. So, um, and, you know, we always had shelter, at least a sleeping bag or whatever, and a poncho or whatever. So, but when you, like, go to the survival class and you're stripped of all those things, um, it becomes really apparent that uh, you're kind of really not prepared. They're not even in the same, they, you know, they're sort of in the ballpark, but they're not the same. Um, and so the only thing that I took from being a soldier to this survival class is, like, one of those um, uh, 
things I had a first sergeant used to say, you know, the, the key to being a good soldier was just becoming um, comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? And so that's the only thing I brought and it was uncomfortable <laughs> for those two weeks, right? Definitely. Um, but yeah, that uh, that was, a, it was an eye opener and, um, and pertaining to um, taking care of yourself and being able to defend yourself. It, the other eye opener is the voice in my head still thinks he's a soldier, but you know, I let my fitness go. And anybody that's listening to this podcast or watching us or whatever, um, don't do that, right? Try your best to stay fit um, because it was, that was a struggle for me. Um, and uh, that is my the biggest takeaway for me, Joe, is that, you know, cause you can't, if your fitness isn't, um at a level to sustain this sort of physical activity then it makes you um i don't know what it is but you become more vulnerable right to either the environment or to whatever like you know somebody in your house when you get out of the shower or whatever right if you um don't maintain it i've unfortunately let my fitness get to a point where i you know that those two weeks were a real struggle um and so I didn't get out of it everything that I could. Um, so that is uh, my the biggest takeaway I, I I took home from that is like, well, you know what? I need to be on a diet, right? Because you can't exercise the way I diet. Because you know, Joe, I'm, I'm, I still go to the gym or whatever, but I eat crazy or whatever. I know I'm getting off topic here probably and ranting or whatever going off. On no, this show is all about ranting. So keep going. All right. So, but, um, but if, you know, if, if, I mean, I think that is probably the base of all the things that we're, that we're talking about here, right. Is a fitness level, right. You know, you need to be able to, you know, hold yourself up or lift yourself up or do a push up or whatever, you know what I mean? So, um, and be able to have some fitness to to get through those. Because like when we, for instance, when we went to uh, the rice, the marshlands or whatever to get the tall grass for the mats or whatever, was that like a seven mile round trip or whatever? And that was taxing, right? Um, uh, so you, you never know when you're gonna be able to um, uh, need to be able to, to move out of the way or get out of the way or run away from danger, right? Because I'm at that point now where that's my first mode of self-defense is I'm going to get out of the area or whatever, right? And you need to be certainly need to have some fitness for that. So anyway, I'll stop there. <laughs> well, that goes back to, again, yeah, to the kind of uh, reoccurring themes. It, yeah, fitness in general for life, no, no matter what you're doing, your fitness is going to improve that quality, your ability to do those things or enjoy those things too, you know? And mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, those two weeks were tough, but yeah, it's going to be tougher if you're struggling with other things that you don't have to be, you know? And even some of that was like, for some people it was addiction, right? Like some people with cigarettes and um, coffee. Now they did provide, the, there was a place where you could smoke and they did provide coffee every morning, but it's a, it's a harsh reminder that if all of a sudden you had to go 72 hours without that stuff, how would you be operating? That's going to weigh on you, you know, it's going to make a tough situation tougher. And it's the same thing with, yeah, with the fitness thing where, um, yeah, why make it harder on yourself besides just general health and longevity situations like that? It's only going to make it worse. And like, you know, we often talk about our, you know, our fighting techniques. 
you're not really going to be able to apply them. You may know a lot, but you know, in, in a fight, you're going to gasp before you can even apply those techniques. You know, you need the, they go hand in hand. And so mm. absolutely that, that is a thing. I'll, I'll say this though, that, um, you know, one of the things that kept me from going to this earlier was intimidation. Again, not having any experience camping and not knowing how hardcore it was going to be. I mean, cause really a, like a true survival situation is very intense. And that was not what this is. This is definitely a safe environment to learn skills. Um, I mean, you are sleeping out in a tent, you are using porta potties, you know, um, I like, uh, I actually, I was thinking about Rick solo a couple of times. We had, he, he was a guy we had on our podcast before, but do you remember Tony when he said, Hey, have you ever washed your clothes in the bucket when he was in Thailand training? And I was like, now I have, <laughs> I've washed my clothes in the bucket. Now, let me, let me ask a quick question before I forget here, because it's on what you just said. Uh, uh, you had porta potties, you slept in tents. Does he offer an even more advanced course where you don't Absolutely. even have a tent, where you, where you don't have porta potties, where you are really in the woods with no tools, with nothing? Because I'd like to know if he offers something like that. I think he does at the advanced levels. So there's at least two more basic levels above us. So there's four like fundamental classes. There's the standard, the advanced standard. And then he has one that's focused on like awareness and tracking. And then he goes into the scout level. And that one is kind of what they consider their, you know, I don't know if that would be considered black belt or blue belt equivalent, but it's, it means you have a competency and you are living outdoors. And I, and again, they don't give a lot of details for that. So some of uh, the way the school works is that they, you know, some of the things, uh, they don't want you necessarily be prepared for. They want you to be experience it, to feel how, how is it to go through that, you know, uh, whether it's a certain kind of deprivation or like the, the, like the long walk we had. If you're not, because, you know, survival situations, um, you know, you're not always going to be ready for everything. And how, how you psychologically are you going to respond to that? So part of that is learning yourself. So I won't talk about everything in the classes because I think they, they you know, some stuff they want to kind of, uh, keep like that. Um, but anyways, to your question, yes, some of the advanced students get to that level. Um, I'd have to look over the, but it's definitely like a few more courses out. Like I, I would, I would not be ready for that. So this class is still, um, what I would consider like going into the shallow end of the pool or, you know, there's definitely a lot of what I would consider training wheels, uh, which you need, you're not going to, you know, if you're brand new to these things, now th th there's a wide range of people. There's a, people are already outdoorsmen who come to this, who already are familiar with some things. But like I said, I still had a, a, a knife that I could work with, you know, now at one point we did work with flaking rocks and making stone tools. Um, but obviously that's a, a bigger, <laughs> that's a much bigger handicap than having a good steel knife to make make your fire kit or make your traps and things like that. So this is definitely, and that's, I guess, one of the messages I want to convey to people who are maybe considering this is that you are not being thrown out into the wild. Um, you know, you are, you do have some, like I said, you're easing into this. You are living in a tent. Uh, food is provided for you. You're not foraging and having to kill your own food, you know, although they start to teach you how to do that, how to hunt, how to trap. Those are things, but um, there's no way, well, I shouldn't say there's no way. It'd be very difficult for a beginner to pull those off, um, you know. Um, so, yeah, this is definitely – and is, actually, there's a lot of inspirational things out there, too. There's people who – of really of all ages. I mean, this was adults, but that meant anybody 18 and over. So we literally – there was a lady there in her 80s who was doing this. Ah. Yeah, I mean, I should she, – she, she was a character, you know. She uh, – mm -hmm. 
but she was there for, she actually was staying longer than us because they have three week courses back to back. Now she didn't push herself like everybody, but I wouldn't expect her to. She was still getting things out of it, you know, and this is her way of getting, you know, out of the grind, getting out back to nature and camping and learning some things. So it was impressive. There was, there was a, a mother daughter combination. Um, they were from Taiwan. They, their English wasn't that great. I mean, I, I was thinking about how much courage that would take for me to go, like if I re- had a reverse roles and, and if I had to fly to Taiwan or some language or some country where the language wasn't my first language to like learn survival skills. I mean, that was impressive. Um, you know, and they were working really hard at the skills. So I, mean, I think they understood English, but they definitely had trouble communicating really sometimes. But it, it was impressive that people came really coming from all over the world. Uh, you know, we had people obviously from close places like Canada. Uh, one guy was from Puerto Rico. I mean, it's really interesting, this community, how many how it's really kind of disseminated across the globe and how people come to this place. It's kind of a mecca for training for it. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, the goal is to get to that point where, you know, you're going in there with next to nothing, maybe just the clothes on your back. Um, they do start to teach you, you know, I mean, sometimes they introduce you to topics that's like, okay, some things are you do like in the first, they give you, here's your priorities in the first 24 hours. Okay. And I can kind of share that. They talk about what they call the sacred order. And they, they just keep that in mind is, you know, first things is shelter. You need shelter. You can get hypothermia. If you try to, you know, if the woods go down to 40 degrees at night and you're sleeping on the ground without shelter, uh, you know, you're going to, you know, you're going to put yourself at grave danger. So that's your number one need first and foremost. And then uh, after that, it's water. Your body needs water and water is a really tough one. Uh, I mean, we could go off on a long digression on that, but in the modern world. So, you know, back in the day in primitive days, they had to worry about things like, you know, uh, bacterial, you know, infection and particulates in water, you know, so you could clear that by boiling. But in the modern era, so much of our water is tainted by chemicals and things. And you can never 100% know that your water is safe, you know. So doing that in a primitive fashion is very difficult. So one of our prime needs actually now in the modern era is much harder than it was, you know, back for frontiersmen and things like that. So um, that's a difficult one. So after shelter, uh, water comes fire. And partially because it's so tied with water is that ideally if you can get fire going besides giving yourself heat, um, and you can help purify the water a little bit if you're boiling it, able to boil water. Um, and then lastly, food. And they, they, they spell this out because a lot of people, I think, instinctively, or they think food is your first priority. Oh, my God, if I'm not going to be able to eat in the next 24 hours, you know, I'm going to be starving or whatever. And literally, it's, it's good to keep in mind that is, is not high on your priority lists. I mean, yeah, you'll be hungry, but you can go 30 days, you know, in a fast if you need to. I mean, you know, and so it's kind of like keep your priorities. First and foremost, you need to get warm, you know. And so that first 24 hours, the kind of advice is you need to start, A, having the right mental attitude, relaxing, uh, like using your awareness to start to see what resources are around you, you know, because the first thing you're going to want to do is gather debris because you're going to need to make at a minimum a big pile of debris that you can sleep in that'll keep you off the ground and keep you insulated, you know, it may not be comfortable, it may not be a tent in a sleeping bag, but you just can't lay on the ground because you'll just conduct all this heat away from your body, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so number one, and so you can then use that um, debris that you're gathering, like just a huge pile of leaves, if you can imagine this and whatever you can gather. Uh, and obviously, you have to be careful for things like poison ivy. So you got to be kind of littered about your plants, too, and know what can be bad. But ultimately, you'll use that debris to make a more long term shelter. So that's kind of like your first thing. And while you're doing that, you kind of have to keep an open mind. It's like, well, 
are there rocks that I look like I could maybe smash and break and get a sharp edge on? Like if I don't have a knife, you know, I've got to be looking for a lot of things like that. Um, are there edible plants? You know, you have to study plants. Are there things that I could be snacking on and also looking for water sources? So there's a lot in that first 24 hours. If you're realizing, hey, I might be stuck here. I have to start doing that. And then it kind of evolves from there. Okay, what if it's going to be, you know, 72 hours? How far along should I be? Should I have my shelter put together? Um, I'll post some pictures. I've actually posted to my Instagram site, but um, I'll do it to yours as well, Tony, when we post this um, the podcast. But we actually, uh, Dwayne and I, we built a debris hut, which is kind of like a... I don't know, like kind of a horizontal teepee frame, you know, it's a triangle, but it's low to the ground because you don't want a lot of height. You want to conserve heat and you make this frame out of uh, branches that you're able to either break over or bend. And it's long enough for your body to lay in. And you kind of make a kind of, if you will, like a debris sleeping bag for yourself where you have room where you can scoot in and kind of make a mattress of debris to keep yourself off the ground, but also have a huge mound of debris over it. So in case it rains, it won't leak through. So um, that's kind of like your second term goal to do that. Um, but you're also, like I said, you're looking for uh, things that you can use for tools. They, um, uh, they had us work on throwing, like finding sticks that are like clubs that you could use to throw at like small game to find to get animals if you needed to. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other things. What are some other things, Dwayne, that they had us working on early on? Do you remember? Um, yeah, the debris. Um, but I, I just wanted to say before this uh, to me this is why it all went back to number one for me was fitness because everything that you're talking about is expending energy or whatever and i remember just being gassed when we were just finding the stuff for the debris hut um but yeah but we, you you know it's that sort of awareness um about your environment but like you were saying like you you know like while you're doing the like for instance while you're gathering the debris for the debris hut you need to be uh aware with the what they call wide angle vision or whatever so you can notice things that you might need later and you come back and get them like for instance things you can make tools with stone uh straight you know uh bushes that have straight um um what 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 do we call it joe uh the they have straight the stems and branches or whatever that you can use to make um your fire kit with um and and um those things but like just listening to you talk about that i just was reminiscing you know um i took a lot of my cues from you because i wanted to like sit down a lot right you know it was, it was like man this is not good i'm like because you know i'm like i'm sucking wind here or whatever right but but you know but it's good to have a buddy right because i was like well if joe can do it i can do it but at the end of the day i was suffering i was hurting <laughs> so i know i said the fitness thing a lot but i just want everybody to understand start doing some jumping jacks and push-ups or whatever you got to do walk or whatever because it's real the struggle is real if you if you don't have a friend with you like joe or whatever and you out somewhere by yourself i mean all of those things are expending calories. Luckily, I have a lot of calories stored to expend, but I still, right, you know, so um, fitness, please. Anybody listening, please take that. I mean, I'm sure people who listen to you guys, to Tony and you guys already know about that, but this is for the people who come by chance by your video, but just please take that seriously because that is like the foundation of staying alive, either in the woods or in the neighborhood, I think. What about, uh, Joe, uh, protecting yourself from animals, uh, wolves or bears or, I mean, you know, was that touched upon? 
Not so much. Um, obviously, yeah. If you're in the area where, I mean, like certain areas out west, you know, or, or northwest where you're going to run into grizzly bears or whatever, you definitely need to be paying attention to signs like that. I've, obviously, if you're coming across tracks, you know, or large, you know, animal droppings or things like that. Um, but no, I mean, fire is a big thing. Smoke. The other thing is just like, um, you know, obviously like small thing. You might, we generally think, oh, that like wolves are bears, but you also have to keep an eye on yourself for small things like ticks. You know, yeah, or snakes a, and shit. Yeah, we had how many snakes did we see in the camp? Uh, yeah. there, was, there was a few, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you know, so like one of the things they recommend is so you make this debris hut, and you obviously have to be careful as you're reaching around and grabbing stuff like that. Um, uh, but using the smoke from your fire, you know, you got to be careful you don't catch anything on fire. But you can smoke things. You know, animals definitely like to, you know, don't want to be around uh, the smell of smoke. You know, that definitely is a deterrent for. Uh, pests and things like that um but yeah it's definitely a possible risk out there um uh we came in close contact with a couple snakes a couple times um we got about you guys have to right? camp out so so we were camping the whole time in our tent um, so so you didn't have to actually sleep in your custom built shelter Right. So it was kind of, well, it was kind of optional. Uh, so week two, so they introduce you how to build the shelter in the first week, um, week two. So if you go, if you go on to week two, then it's like, okay, now everybody's building their own shelter. And ideally we want you all using it at least one night. So there's a lot of people like for people, uh, obviously that's, that's definitely a milestone for a lot of people to sleep in that. Did you so, do that, Joe? I did. Yes, actually. So how, how was that sleeping in your, your homemade shelter uh well it's interesting because many people had a wide variety of experiences for some people like they were the first guy to do it so they the first week they have the the breeze shelter they sh- like they kind of show you in ra- rapid succession because a lot of people are working on it this is how you want to build it and they said like okay who volunteers to sleep in it the first night and it's like one of those things in the stooges where like all the volunteers take one step or volunteers take step and everybody takes a step backwards, you know, no one wants <laughs> to do it. Uh, but there was that kind of moment of hesitation. And then there was this older guy, uh, his name was Sweeney and he, he ended up being a super cool guy, but he's just like, you know, yeah. F it, I'm going to do it. And he raised his hand. And so he slept in it that night and it was very transformative for him because he did something that he was afraid of, you know, cause everybody, everybody had the same thoughts. Like, Oh, great. I'm going to be like, stuck with pine needles and bugs are going to be on me and it's going to be cold. You know, you don't, it's the unknown. It's the fear of the unknown or, and uh, he did it, you know, and uh, made it to the morning and it was transformative to him. He, he like was a different guy afterwards. I mean, that's the interesting thing is you see that I've saw that more than a couple of times for people at this camp. I'll get back to the debris thing in a second, but there was um, to me, it was very inspirational. Just there was this one girl, uh, Michelle, um, and I came back into, there's like a camp area where everybody's practicing their skills. And I came back and she was basically on her hands and knees, almost looking like she was praying and she was crying because she had just lit her first fire. You know, she did something she didn't think was possible. She made you know, a friction fire. And it was kind of cool to see when people do things that they didn't think they were able to do and cross that threshold, how, how, how much of an impact that can have on them. I talked to her and actually, um, this is something she would had been interested in her whole life. And when she finally got old enough, she went, went and did the class. And, and so this was, this was a long time coming for her, that experience. She, there was a, a book called uh, hatchet, which a lot of kids have to read in school nowadays. Like my son, Ben had to read it. I had to read it. Did you read it? Yeah, yeah it was <laughs> awesome. I loved it. 
Yeah. But I mean, that book, like it inspired a lot of people to get out into nature and do things. And she was one of those. She's like, I'm going to do this. This is, I'm going to learn how to do this for real. And so that book inspired her as a kid. And now, now as a young adult, she went out and started doing the skills. So her whole life, this had been an interest of hers. And when she crossed that milestone of lighting a fire without matches, she, yeah, she was just elated. So, but anyways, so would some of this be covered in Boy Scouts? Cause I was never a scout. So I mean, you know, guys, were you scouts? I wasn't. I was not. Yeah, I, I wasn't either. And it's interesting because I think the Boy Scouts have changed over time. I bet you the early Scouts, yes. And I, my understanding is the very first Boy Scouts manual has a lot of good, like the early from the early 1900s manual has a lot of good information like this. Uh, but like uh, uh, Haley's fiance, my daughter's fiance, he's an Eagle Scout. So like he's like, you know, whatever, a super level Boy Scout. Yeah. Uh, but he never learned to make friction fire. You know, when I talked to him, it's like, oh, they didn't have you do that? Because to me, that would seem to be fundamental. But I think the Boy Scouts have kind of expanded their definition. I don't know it exactly because I'm not a scout. But, you know, like I did it a little bit with Ben and they had things like, you know, pine derbies where they raced their car. So it's it's partially outdoorsies, but it's also, I don't know, trying to make them better citizens and things like that. So they're, they don't, I don't know if they focus on the primitive skills as much as I would expect them to. Um, but yeah, and, I, and I'm knocking it. I think it has its own value and there's some scouts who are really good at this stuff, but I definitely don't know if their focus is this kind of stuff. It's just like kind of when you find out that it's not, it's not happening in the army as much as you'd think, but again, mm-hmm. you know, they have all the modern tools. You're not going to mm-hmm. spend a lot of time doing something that is maybe a, you know, one in, you know, 1000 chance of happening to you. You know, you're going to focus on what the most immediate needs are, you know, uh, so, and there were some veterans there too. There was a lot of mm-hmm. veterans. Uh, you know, I said, this, this school casts a wide net of people of different interests. Like I said, there's people who are straight up hippies, you know, they wanted to get closer to nature, you know, uh, and that's why they were there. But then there were people who were former military people and their stories were kind of inspirational too. One of the uh, guys we talked to, he was one of the instructors. Uh, he was one of my favorites, Bill, because in some ways he was, he was just so genuine, you know, because uh, the main guy, he's kind of, I don't know, like some of the stories he says, what, what he can track and what he can do sometimes seems impossible. It's like, there's no mm-hmm. way. And then he, this guy, Bill, came to actually tra- to teach some of the specific tracking things. Now, tracking, a high level of tracking, you don't necessarily need for a simple like 24, 72 hour survival thing, but it's very core to their, I don't know. Uh, their ethic or their belief that learning to track is kind of tuning into nature a little bit more because you're observing everything. You're, you're, you're really trying to pay attention to all the details that are going on. So they introduced that. They used to only introduce that in advanced classes, but they've now switched to, to giving you a lot of it right away. I'm going to pause real I'm going to uh, mute for a second. Hold on. So Dwayne, was there like a list of tools that were required you to bring to the camp or how did that work out? Well, I think they, uh, one of the tools was like a three inch knife. That was like a full tanning knife or whatever. Cause we had to do a lot of, uh, carving. Um, for instance, like we had to carve spoons and uh, make a bowl to eat. And, oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. Um, I think that was pretty much the only tool that I remember requirement that they had. Um, do you have to bring so, like a tent and a poncho and sleeping yeah. bag stuff? Yeah, I don't think you had to, but we did. Like that. Um, 
Yeah, because there are some people who, you know, they, they only use a blanket, for instance, or whatever, you know, they do whatever, their ranger burrito or whatever, where they just wrap themselves in a, in a blanket. Um, but Joe and I, we had a tent. Um, and, uh, and, but, you know, and you should, probably should bring butt spray, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but those, those are only like requirements I remember. And, and, uh, I was going to talk about what, when Joe was saying, um, like the tracking of animals or whatever. And like when Tony was talking about protecting yourself from bigger animals or whatever, that was one of those contrast things between this class and what I learned in the oh. army, um, they they uh the this class we took they they um the message is to like be make a small noise in nature um you don't want to disrupt it you know you want to um move about in nature without you know uh, almost silently um whereas in the army if you notice like uh and i'll give you a story a personal story um uh, if you notice these sort of bear tracks, I was in Alaska, so of course bear was always on everybody's mind. Um, and um, the job I had required a proficiency in land navigation, so they took us to McKinley or whatever McKinley's called now. I'm not sure. Um, and they told us there were no bears, so we went on this land navigation contest for this weekend. And I remember making my way back, and I came across bear prints, bear scat. And you could smell the bear. And then we were taught you want to make as big an interruption in nature as you can because you don't want to sneak up on something like a bear or whatever, right? So I remember I started singing and <laughs> making my way, you know, I'm making, you know, trying not. But anyway, um, someone in front of me came across this bear and he was attacked. Um, yeah, so it was ser- it's a serious thing, you know. So on my way back, I saw the chopper, the medevac chopper come, and, oh and um, this the, he was he was he was mauled by the bear, and I don't know, a hundred stitches in his head and back, and this, he survived. But um, that's mm. a contrast between like if you wanted to do like you know what they taught us in the army, and then what we learned in this class. So um, you can take that for what what it's worth, but if you're if you see the signs of something that can harm you or be of danger to you, you want to leave the area as loudly as possible because you don't want to startle something like a bear. So was, did he run into the bear trying to escape your singing? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) So do you, do you think he snuck up on the bear? I mean, if if he was following the, the orders being loud and everything, Oh. I, I don't think he saw it. I don't think, you know, I think. Um, he, Did he do anything he different? Or was he just the lucky one? Hmm. So so he was believing what, what was told to him, that there was no bears. Absolutely. Right. Um, they, they, told, Man, they told us. That's that wrong. Was clear. Right. And I don't think, I think maybe the, the way he came in to the area, he came, he didn't see. I came in a different way uh, and i saw the the signs that there was a bear there he may not have seen those signs and came upon the bear um because the woods were really thick um in that area whatever so you really can't see ahead and i just happened to be lucky enough to to come upon the tracks and like you know the signs that the bear was there so what what did they tell you like if a bear actually attacks you how did they tell you to handle that i mean obviously you you guys probably had weapons right 
we were not issued weapons for this exercise. That was oh, the only, that was the other, yeah. So, um, you know, the, rec- the the normal thing with the, with they would tell us for the bear thing is to um, get on the ground and on your stomach, you don't want your vital areas exposed and then, you know, you can sort of shell up um, and, you know, let the bear attack you, which is what he did because it hit the back of his skull, you know, the, but that's where he had the most stitches was on his skull and on his um and on his um um his rear end because the bear picked him up by his butt and shook him around. So he did he did follow that training, that sort of advice that we had. But yeah. Um so really that probably saved his do. life. It did. It did definitely save his life. Yeah, yeah that's uh yeah, you know you <laughs> Well, you know, and it harks back to uh, like what I teach, you know, self, de- you know, actual real urban self-defense. You have to be expe- you have to be prepared for anything. You know, I'm not going to delve into this, but I saw one of the most ridiculous videos I ever saw. What was today? Sunday, uh, Monday, Saturday night by a Navy SEAL. Right. Self-defense stuff and against kidnappings and just ridiculous things that he was discussing. And um uh, you know, there, there, there are right ways of approaching things and not so right ways of approaching things. Now, apparently what you were told about the bear, um, was for this guy, the right approach, you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because I'm more, what I would like to know eventually, if you guys ever can continue with the, uh, training is, when you don't have these implements, like you guys, like you just said, Dwayne, you didn't have a gun, right? So mm-hmm. everybody would say, oh, he's in the army, shoot the bear. Well, you don't have a gun. That's what we need to get to. You know, um, you know, some of the stuff, like I said, the SEAL was talking about was like preposterous, okay? Um, he, he covered nothing about being completely without uh, implements, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is what, which is, let's face it. The majority of people that are going to get um, involved in either a wilderness survival thing or an urban survival thing, you just may not have the tools, right? It just, this may be your only tool, your body, what you have on you and your brain. Um, and, and I think that's what, you know, a lot of people really need to deal with, get get to that level. Yeah. Um, and And to that point um part of the training that we took in the survival class they they mentioned more than two dozen times about being aware of your surroundings and they would say like you know most people uh have their head at a 45 degree angle and they're looking at the ground and not even aware where they're going they're just in a hurry to get to the next meeting or to get to wherever and really you're vulnerable then right because a lot of situations probably could be avoided if you had your head up and you were paying attention, right? And because there's signs that, you know, I shouldn't go this way or like, you know, I, I, I was telling Joe yesterday, like, you know, like you walk down a, a street or whatever and you see a bunch of people across the street and as you're coming up the block and then some people peel off and come across to the same side as you, whatever, then you know, I told him, I was like, oh, I turned the next corner. I didn't even go down that block. You know what I mean? But like, if I had not been paying attention, then I might have like, you know, 
came into some trouble, offered or whatever, $20 I had carrying on my pocket or whatever. But so that is a, a lesson that I took back because I noticed that I do, I don't always have my head up when I'm walking around, especially in my own neighborhood. I feel safe. And earlier, Joe was saying, you know, these things don't happen in my neighborhood. Well, yeah, they could, you know. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, is the the awareness. Now, being aware is, you know, may not, you know, it's, it's not an elixir. You know, it, it may not prevent the the inevitable, but it sure helps. So, you know, you, you, you have even... Um, if it's a matter of even mere seconds to mentally prepare to like get your head in the game. So you take the shock out of it. Right. So um, especially in my personal experience, a couple of times I was shocked. Okay. Like I, Joe knows where I lived. I showed him, I turned the corner. There was a building on the corner of a grocery store and I got stabbed immediately. I never saw it coming. And then there were other times where I saw the mess that I was getting myself into and that mentally prepared me for, you know, it's kind of like they say, um, like sometimes in, in an accident or something, it seems like time slows down. It, it's a weird experience. And I don't want, it's not metaphysical really, but it, yeah, sometimes when you see what's happening, you, your perception kind of all of a sudden, all these ideas start coming into your head if you're prepared for them. And if you've, if you have practiced them. So like in your guy's case, I would think if you always practice all of this stuff that that uh, Tom Brown ta- taught you in the two weeks, it, it'll become second nature, man. It'll be like automatic. And the next thing you know, hey, let's I'm ready for the next advanced class. Absolutely. Hopefully that's the goal, you know, and I, I was thinking about one of the things we talked about, too, is that, you know, it maybe took them an hour or 90 minutes or whatever to show us a skill. Uh, but it's just like any skill. It's going to take me, you know maybe a hundred hours to master it where I'm comfortable, you know, and there's always new challenges you can do. Like they talked about. So there were people there who could make already could make fire. There's a certain, uh, one of the first things they teach you is what's called a bow drill. And that's one of them kind of like go to, uh, if you don't have matches to try and make that, but like, okay, let's say you're good at doing it with your left right hand for it. Do it with your other hand. What if your arm was injured? you know, uh, Hey, what if it's raining out? So like one of the instructors said, yeah, I, when I came here, I knew how to do this. So they said, okay, go jump in the, they have a, there's a really cool swimming area they have actually. And they said, okay, go take a swim with your kit, come back now, see if you can make a fire so, uh, or do it blindfolded, let's say. So there's always, you know, cause maybe you have to do it at night or maybe, you know, whatever low visibility. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, uh, the one thing I'll say is that the, the, two weeks of classes, there were dozens and dozens of skills. We just scratched the surface of practicing them. This really is, you know, this is going to take a lot of hours and dedication to, to hone those skills. It's not something, I mean, it's better to be forewarned and have an idea of what I need to do. So I'm not completely clueless, but it's definitely, I still got a long way to go before I would feel like, oh yeah, you know, I belong out here. You know, there's, it's, it's, well, in some ways it's just like martial arts. I mean, it's kind of a lifetime dedication to developing these things this is just a new other aspect to it of like okay these are some more skills i have to work but you got the right attitude see a lot of times people will go with the martial arts or i'm sure other things they'll go to a seminar a one-day seminar or something and then they expect everything they were shown in the seminar to just magically work you know they don't get it that it takes you know thousands and thousands of hours of practice and repetition and and 
and the seminar itself, like like this two week program that you went through, cannot cover every um, scenario. Okay, but I bet you if you let's say lived with the guy and trained with him full time for two years and and picked his brain over all the knowledge, you'd be great. You know, but I think sometimes expectations um, for people are, you know, not realistic. But this guy sounds like he's got a really great program. I mean, that's just awesome. You should put a link and stuff in the description here for people to check him out. Oh, I will for sure. That's a great idea for sure. And yeah. I, highly, I highly recommend it, honestly. I mean, you can go for various reasons. I think obviously the most important is functional, uh, you know, functional safety skills for wilderness skills. But even just to get get out into the woods, get a little bit closer to nature, be thinking about those things. I mean, there's just a lot of benefits. I think I was thinking about all my friends and families and there's so much, each person I could see getting different benefits from it. They might like one aspect more than another, you know, um, uh, you know, some people are just, and that was kind of the other thing that was kind of cool to see is that because the school has been around for so long, he's now got this cadre of teachers who they start to specialize. Like we met one guy who was an expert at f- friction fire. Like, yeah. so like he gave us, we were very fortunate. So the thing well, why is, why don't you tell us where this is located? So this is in New Jersey. So it's New, New Jersey in the Pine Barrens. Uh, yeah. So it's on the East coast, but there are like affiliated schools. So he does, you know, have people who have trained with him who are on other aspects, you know, other areas of the country, but that place specifically is there. And so a lot of good people end up coming there. And what's interesting too, is a lot of instructors will come back and they'll just volunteer because there's people like they're helping out just like giving a little, there's like the main instructors who are giving, but there's also people who just be, it's a, it's a community of people. So uh, they'll have people who just come in you know, and just want to help out and maybe they'll help with the kitchen or whatever, or help with, you know, pumping water, but then they'll also give you a little advice. You know, like I definitely, there was a guy who worked the kitchen, uh, an older guy, Bill. Um, and he came and worked with me, you know, when I was working early one morning, trying to work on fire, he just came here, here, try this, try scratching this part of the bark to make your Tinder bundle. You know, he just spent a little extra time because he loves that stuff and wants to pass it on. Nice. Uh, so yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really, like I said, it's a really supportive community because I think it's a lot of, you know, they're, they understand that this is not natural for a lot of, a lot of people have been so disconnected from these things that it's, you know, can be intimidating. And so they are very uh, nurturing in that sense of like helping you, helping you achieve. Um, what was I also going to say? Oh yeah, there's, there's, it's cool is that there's, this has been around so long that people bring their own expertise and they, or they focus on one aspect of it, like that guy, um, he actually has a, a YouTube, I'll plug his YouTube uh, channel. It's called uh, Fire Dojo and it's spelled P-H-Y-R-E. So not fire, F-I-R-E. Um, it's like uh, dojo, but he is an expert at making fires without matches. Because, you know, they teach us like two ways. There's like the hand drill and the bow drill. That you, that's a skill that we're going to have to work. But he's like, there's like a couple dozen different ways to do it. You know, and he just kind of went over all, here's the different variables that can affect your outcome with a fire. And he listed like 20 variables. And he, he gave this information. This wasn't a part of the formal class. It just happened to be that he showed up in between. So there was like week one, then there's a break of a day and then week two starts up. And he just came in to the, like, check out the camp and see how everybody's doing. And I asked him a question. He's like, well, come over here. And he just started whiteboarding and showing me everything for like basically giving me a free, well, there's a, a couple other people showed up once they realized what was going on. But this guy was just super generous with his knowledge. And, and I'm like, dude, can I buy you a beer or something? Because you're, you know, you're just, he's like, no, no, just make sure you pass this knowledge on. You know, that's what this is about. 
Uh, buy so, you a beer? Where, how were you going to buy? Well, a beer? no, it was, it was more of a figure of speech, you oh, know, actually. like yeah, like can I do something for you because you're just giving me all this knowledge, and um, uh, even though yeah, I think beer Dwayne probably did want to try and like smuggle some beer in, but we didn't yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, but there was, I'm trying to think other, there was one guy, uh, Jorge, he was an older uh, guy. Um, and he came to the, he had like a oh, life crisis, his story. And that's the other thing is all these people's life stories are kind of amazing. He, he, he had, he, he grew up in Argentina, uh, became a cook. I mean, it's a long story why he became a cook was actually interesting too, but he ultimately ended immigrating to the U S to the Hollywood area and was like, became like a chef to like famous people, I think, but he kind of lived like a wild party life was my impression. Um, but at like in his thirties, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer or like very, very low risk surviving. And he kind of had one of those, I'm God, you know, you, you get me through this. I'm going to change my life kind of deals, you know, like, uh, the foxhole prayer kind of things. And he made it through, he survived. And so one of the things he did to start changing his life is he decided, okay, I'm going to do this nature class and see what comes of it. And, uh, it made an impression on him, but he took his cooking skills and said, well, what, how did primitive people cook their food? You know, and, you know, there's all these different ways you can, you know, you can boil, you can do rock boiling to boil water to, you know, the cook, like he cooked shrimp and other, other things for us and st- stuff. And there's like a whole bunch of different other ways. What is, what is rock boiling? So if you need to heat up like uh, water and you have a wood container, you can't put the wood container over a fire, let's say, because obviously it would catch. So what you want to do is like, if you've, if you've hollowed out a log or something, uh, what you can do is put stones. So if, if you, let's say you, you have a fire going, you can put stones into a fire um, and you want to make sure they're not stones that might be like from a riverbed or near water, because if there's water in them and you heat them up, they could explode. So like you get, you want to make sure you get stones from like, what would very likely be a long time dry area and put them into the fire. And as they heat up, you kind of like, you, you kind of fashion tongs and the ideal setup is you have basically two troughs of water, one where you quickly drop uh, the, the rock into wa- the, the hot, like red hot rocks into water to wash off the uh, charcoal and whatnot dust on it. And then you pick it up from there and then you put it into the clean water. So you, you kind of rinse it off quickly and then you put it into the water. And so you put these hot rocks into your water, you know, whatever you're using to hold water, and that eventually heats up the water and boils it. So it's a way of indirectly boiling water, you know, and we saw him, he had like, they had like a big trough, like it almost looked like a horse trough of water. And he was doing that process and he actually got the water boiling, you know, and then as the rocks cooled, he'd take those out and they would go back into the fire, but he was, you know, basically boiling. I think it was shrimp. I don't remember what else he put in there, Um, but he was showing how like, like, that's how you can do it. Uh, That's just one way of primitive cooking. But he, had, he was like an expert in it. So uh, I think it was like somewhere towards the end of that one of the weeks, he basically, you know, did this huge demonstration of how to cook and kind of gave us a feast of like, this is how stuff can taste when you cook mm-hmm. outdoors and native. But it was just my point being is that each person kind of takes the foundation and then they expand into something that they they're familiar with or they know and they they research it and become better at it so that's another thing that's pretty cool whether it's some guy who's an expert at fire or someone who knows how to cook you know there's it's just interesting to see the community kind of now expanding and contributing back to this body of knowledge so uh it's kind of cool to see that it's kind of it's taken on a life of its own I would say beyond the original instructor in a lot of ways. I mean, he's still there and he, you know, he would show up and he would give some lectures, but 
his teachers were, you know, great too. You know, uh, I learned a lot from them. So how old is uh, this uh, Brown, Tom Brown? Uh, 70, I believe. Yeah. So he's, yeah, he's getting up there and uh, you know, he's, he's in some frail health. Actually, he, he'd been through mm-hmm. some things. Uh, he had an accident where he hurt his back. I think he got COVID. So I had seen him four years ago and he was robust, you know, for an older man, he looked, you know, fit and ready to go. Now he did not, he was struggling, you know, so he's taken some health hits recently. I mean, hopefully he'll recover, but it's also something if people are considering and they, and they, and they're aware of him and want to meet him, don't delay. Well, it's kind of like we talked about, you know, don't assume someone's going to be around forever. You know, you don't know if you want to learn from somebody, you got to make the time and effort, you know, uh, you know, don't hesitate on that because you're not promised tomorrow. So uh, I've been fortunate yet yeah, to, to get to, you know, uh, be instructed directly from him. But I said, the good news is, is he's definitely built up a, a level of instructors around him that, you know, if someday he's not there, I think this can continue. Um, where does he live? Well, I mean, like what state? You don't have to be specific. I, I think, uh, well, he's in New Jersey as well. So he lives not too far. So he owns, I, I think he owns or leases a huge amount of like wooded lands to run these courses. And I think he lives nearby there. So, you know, he would come in, teach and then head back. And so he didn't, the instructors all lived on, on the campus while they were teaching. He did not, he would come in and out uh, and kind of make like the celebrity appearance and teach something and go. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I know, Nico, you're interested in learning these things and, and, and stuff, and I would highly encourage you to try and make plans for it if you can. I know the summertime's tough for you with work, but... Yeah, um, uh, that sounds amazing, Joel. Hey, I'm interested to know, did they teach you guys anything like natural ways to deal with mosquitoes and insects, or, or is it just smoke, pretty much? Um, and this is the kind of thing where I need to go back over notes because I think they did talk about certain plants and things you yeah. could use that had like certain uh, aromatic plants that you could use. I don't remember, honestly. So it was touched on. Um, yeah. I was, what, what about in the army? In the army, do they teach you anything, Dwayne? About like if yeah. you're if you're in a, the jungle and you got insects eating you alive, is there anything you could do? Yeah. Well, there was. We were issued. Uh, bug repellent right but I none of us trusted it right it worked but who knew you know we didn't know what was in it we, we used to make fun of like it's probably like diesel fuel and depleted <laughs> uranium and some other stuff or whatever and it worked but you know there's some stuff um, from Avon called skin so soft right and we used to try to track down Avon lady on, on the base or whatever and buy it from her. and I actually took some to New Jersey so and it still works. Um, the mosquitoes don't. I didn't get really very many mosquito bites or chigger bites or whatever. So, um, so what that's if my you, tip. What if you're just caught with nothing? Can you just rub mud on your skin? I mean, what, is there anything that would work? Yeah, um, not to my knowledge. But there, there's like what was it, dog's bane, Joe? I think you can use that to to help the bites. But I don't know about uh, preventing the bites in the first place. Yeah, I'd have to. Yeah. Research. I don't remember. I know they touched on yeah. it, but off the top of they my head, I can't remember. Um, you know, and I didn't get up so horribly, so I didn't use any bug repellent. And I don't know if it was just the ecosystem that they're in. So they're kind of in a almost like a sandy, piney uh, woodland area. I don't know how else to describe it. But uh, in some ways, I've had more bug issues in my backyard than there. But what I remember now, I did have a bunch of chigger bites. I mean, my legs okay. still have. They still have, uh, it looks some, somewhat like some constellations in the sky, you know, if you look at my legs, but um, it wasn't horrible, you know, like I was, 
that was one, and a lot of people actually had a lot of tick anxiety. Like everybody's really stressed about ticks, but um, you know, just yeah, you got to keep checking. It's just part of the game. You got to be kind of. It's kind of the uh, kind of the price of admission for going out into the woods. You are going to get bit up a little bit, you know. And if obviously if you're by areas where there's stagnant water, there's probably going to be a lot more mosquitoes, you know. So you've got to think. That's another thing about as far as like when we're talking about grab, gathering debris for, you know, where you're going to try and sleep is also where, where the location is, you know, you can take that same debris pile. And if you put it where there's, you know, moisture or whatever, you could be much more bit up by bugs than if you can get up to higher ground or if there's going to be rain that night. So there's a lot of considerations like that. Yeah. The, and going back to like the other thing that we learned in Army Nico was like, you just don't expose your skin. So that was like a contrast between Joe and I. Joe was, he was full out there, flip flops and shorts and short sleeve <laughs> shirts where I had long pants on. And if we were going in the woods, I would stick my pants in my socks or whatever. And I had shirts on or whatever. I, I tried to minimize the amount of skin that was exposed, but it was really hot. Right. And so that just added to the, the miserable part. But yeah, so, um, but yeah, so that's one way to not be bitten or whatever, right? Is to cover up or whatever. But then you yeah. just, uh, depending on the weather, right? You just, you know, just, you just doing the trade off bites for just, you know, I was wet all the time because the humidity was high. Right. And we would hang the clothes out on the vine and get up in the morning, still damp or whatever. So, yeah. So what what kind of stuff do they teach you like how to track things? What are what are you looking for? Wow, man. Well, that's a super deep topic and they spend a lot. What's impressive is how technical it gets so fast. Um they've done a really good job of concisely teaching you and in and, and what I would call like um structuring it or uh you know, making it uh, a system so they convey a ton of information to you, like almost you can't digest it in some ways, but it's like, here's the world of tracking to you. I mean, so at the, at the high level, they have what's called sign tracking, where you're not even necessarily looking at like the, the prints in the ground yet, but you're looking at like, where are there, where are there rabbit runs or deer runs in the, in, you know, like where are the disturbances in the foliage where I can start to see, okay, an animal has been by this way. So you start to look at, or, you know, has, has twigs been, gnawed on or chewed or is, is there any sign of fur you know or scat or whatever and so that's sign tracking like indirectly looking for evidence of animal traffic uh then they start to talk about okay once you've found an animal run now let's get into like there's different ways to identify what you're tracking you know uh the pattern the overall shape of the so the shape of the print can tell you what family of animal it's in and then if you can count the number of toes in the front and the hindlings, you start to narrow into, okay, what is this animal? And also what is its pattern of walking? You know, um, yeah. like cats and fox, foxes both do what they call direct registering, where um, their rear feet go right into the print of their front foot. So it almost looks like, it doesn't look like they have four feet. It looks like almost like little, like a little human where you're seeing like what you would think is two feet going left, right, left, right. But really it's four feet. They're just stepping right in their own tracks. Uh, but most animals do what are called indirect registers where their rear leg comes around and steps either to the outside or the inside of the front foot. And so they get into like the, how do, what does the pattern of their foot look like? Um, they give you exercises to practice to, so you can start to tell the age of a track. Uh, so you kind of set up um, 
like an area, like in your yard and, you, and there's different um, like material you have to get practice. As I said, it's a whole, like you could spend hundreds of hours developing this, just this skill set alone, where you just like kind of make marks in like wet sand over the course of a month and you watch how that ages. So you can start to, you know, and the more time you spend looking at these things, you start to get a feel for, okay, that track was made 24 hours ago, or that was made 12 hours ago, you know, or this looks like, so, uh, but they get into real minute detail of, you know, if a person puts their weight down and they twist their foot, how does the dirt kick out when they do that? You know, are they, you know, I mean, it gets, it gets you, almost where you can't believe that they're getting at that level uh, to do it, but that's what you have to do. I mean, to get really good at this and also like they teach you how to measure. So uh, I get an idea of what the, the, what your, the straddle of your legs are and then what your gait is, you know, how far it is between steps. So I might, there might be a place where you step where I can't see the track, but because I'm measuring it, I can say, well, it's naturally going to be, it has to be within this relative arc of where your next foot was. And so I might be able to do that to find where I find the next track. So um, uh, like I said, it's very technical. Um, that's just kind of like some of the details I can remember off the top of my head. Um, yeah. And like I said, they have classes just focused on that as well, but because it's kind of like part of their trademark, they definitely, uh, bring it on early. So you can kind of get an idea of what, what's involved. Um, uh, actually well, the story I was going to convey, was, uh, kind of one of the life-changing stories again, was that I, I mentioned that instructor, Bill, who was, uh, who taught us most of the tracking classes. And it was funny. He was picked to be the tracking class, but originally he, he said when he came to the survival school, whenever there was a tracking lecture, he'd blow it off. He had no interest in it. Like he's, he'd go rest in his tent or whatever. He just thought, thought it was, it was BS. Like, I don't, why do I need to know how to track? I just need to know how to do, you know, get a fire going. And so, but he kept moving forward. And eventually he was like, I think there was, you know, I don't know if it was ironic or just kind of saying, Hey, why don't you give this a shot? You, I want you to be able to teach tracking. If you're going to go any further in this school, I want you to know it well enough to teach it. And one of the things he was a Marine. So he, his story is, is kind of cool. He was, uh, he went to the Navy Academy. He, he graduated from that and went to the Marines, you know, and was an officer in the Marines. And, um, while he was doing these Tom Brown classes, like whenever he had vacation, he would go and do these classes at the school. Um, so he was still in the Marines doing this when he started to work on his tracking skills. And, and I think he was in the base in California. So he had access to a sand beach, um, but he smoothed out an area of sand. And he's like, all right, if I'm going to have to start teaching this, I'm going to start going through and learning this. And he did several different kinds of walks. Like he did, okay, I'm going to do like a walk where I'm stalking. Like if I'm hunting, uh, I'm going to do like a slow stroll. I'm going to do the walk like I walk like I do when I walk at work, when I'm at the Marines, you know, cause it, you know, it's kind of, um, and he, and he hustled through there and then he did like a full on run through the sand. And he said, if you know anything about the Marines, he says, it's all about, you know, efficiency and speed. Like they need, it's all about saving money and doing things as fast as you can. And he said, when he stopped and looked at his tracks, he could not distinguish his hard walk, his work walk from his run. He was putting so much effort and it kind of shocked him because he was, he said he was like in his early, like late twenties, like 26 or 27, but he'd come home from, you know, his, his duties at, uh, at the base and he'd be exhausted. And he realized that this it basically changed his life. He realized, Oh my God, I'm like running around all day. You know, I'm burning myself out just at work because I can see it in my tracks. I can see that I'm, it's almost like I'm running <laughs> all the time at work. I'm running from place to place to place. And he said that he was also planning some long, like month long hike, you know, through the wilderness 
where he was going to be like marching 30 days or 30 miles a day. And he had this all, he was planning this vacation. And he said, when he saw that, he completely scrapped it because he realized I'm just going to be like rushing through this. And I'm on on, on a a goal, like, you know, a couple hundred miles and I'm not going to see anything because I'm rushing. You know, he just realized his whole life was rushing around all in hard work and he's burning himself out. And he eventually left the core. I, I don't think completely because of that, but he just realized, Hey, you know, why am I, why am I burning myself out like this? Uh, why am I, you know, but it gave him insight into how he was living his life just by looking at his tracks, which I thought was kind of fascinating. Wow. But yeah, the, the tracking thing is super cool. Um, it seems like it's one of those things right now that it just seems like they've given you so much information, but I just have to put in the hours and times to, to try and get any kind of level of competency in it. I think it's going to be a long, it's a long road for that. So um, definitely starting with just basically tracking myself in some sand and, and going over my notes and see how that goes. Was there any way that they could like, I don't know, one of the guys, the instructor, the owner or the instructor, tell your wife to like guide you to quicksand. So (laughs) (laughs) no, this sounds, this is this, see, this is the kind of training. This is what I like. Um, Not necessarily the outdoors, but this, you know, deep, intense, uh, you know, training. I think, what was it? uh, A few years ago, you and I were, Joe, you and I, this is before we knew Nico, we were discussing like doing a really in-depth, like a five-day seminar for people right not just one person but like get like five people to come out and train all of this you know uh from just your basic stuff to your sports little sports stuff but you know self-defense weapons weren't we talking about that yeah you know it's funny that you mentioned that because i really thought that this was an interesting the way they do it because they the school doesn't run all the time like it's like hey you either go in may you know, well, COVID kind of messed it up, but in their normal yeah. year, they have like a period where it's like these, these weeks you go through the standard class, you know, and then they do it again later. You get, you either come when it's there, or it's not, you don't get it. And so it's kind of like you get a standard curriculum and you're going to get, you're going to get the base curriculum and we're going to run it like, uh, you know, May, the first week of May and maybe the first week of August. And that's it, you know, and this is like the standard class. And I thought that was a really interesting way of like, you know, instead of being kind of open-ended to saying, people can know in advance, like, let's say you publish that schedule in December, people can say, okay, I can plan to be there. I know this is like, this is going to be a five day, you know, the fundamentals of of the the Chikini method of self-defense. I will get that, you know, at the end of this five days. And then they they, they can take that information and run with it. But it's, you know, it's not something where it's like open it. Well, I can do it whenever, you know, like whenever I'm not sure when my schedule is not, no, you either do it at this week or it doesn't happen, you know? And so like, if, you know, however many people show up, um, it just seems like an interesting way to organize training. Um, yeah. And I thought that maybe we could do something like that where it's like, yeah, we have a, like, there's two weeks out of the year where we'll do this, you know, this is the fundamentals of the system. You can come for five days, you know, crash. And then you just know, you know, from morning to night, you're going to, you know, we're going to pack you full of information. You got to take notes and then take it with you and see what you can develop with it. But it's a starting place for people who, or, you know, whatever, if they want to be introduced to the system or train intensely. Um, yeah. It seems like a great way to organize uh, teaching people things. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to talk more about that. As long as I have help, I can't teach the whole class by myself all day long, but you know, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. That's uh, you know, and, and I know 
there's other courses that have nothing to do with, you know, martial arts or survival that, you know, uh, some, you know, it could be a computer course or whatever marketing courses or something like that. And I think COVID should have shown a lot of people that procrastination is not the way to go. If you're interested, you need to do it now because it, it just may not be there. Not because somebody died, but, you know, businesses change. You know, you really, that's what I tell people like with the Tri-C program. I've had a few people ask me about it within the last couple of weeks. And I'm, you know, I don't want to sound pushy, but I'm like, look, if you're interested, you have to sign up now. Don't, not next year or whatever, because it honestly may not be available. It just may not. So, uh, you know, and, and I guess we all do that to a degree. We, we overanalyze or we think, we think. And then I remember many years ago, uh, the Jazz Record Mart. I, you might have known about it, Joe. Um, I think he used to be on Lincoln Avenue and uh, the old timer that owned it. And I went in there one time and it was my first time in there and him and I were just, just talking, you know. And uh, I don't remember what the album was. It's irrelevant, but I told him, I said, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to buy this album before. I should have, and you know. He's like, yeah. He says, now you'll probably never get that album again. Or if you do, because it's out of print, you're going to pay quadruple. Um, when you see something and you're thinking about it, don't, he says, don't overanalyze it. Just get it, right? So that's what I, I, I'm glad that you two guys were able to work this in your schedule and just do it as opposed to contemplating, contemplating. Sometimes it's just like, hey, man, let's just do it. And you guys did, which is great. Thank you. Yeah. And I, like there's, like I said, I've, I've talked about this since I did it four years ago to dozens of people, you know, and Dwayne was the only one really like to like actually go and pull it, pull the trigger on it. You know, cause I have a lot of like, not only my friends, but like Casey's friends and Ben's friends was like, you would love this. Trust me. This is your people, you know, this community, this is what you're, you know, I can just tell from hanging out with them. I know they would love it, but I mean, it's, it's hard to commit to that. And you're right. And sometimes if you're, you, you overthink it and, and, yeah, I mean, think of all the things you might not do it. And that's, that can be dangerous. You, you know, I, you know, I used to tell guys when we're like, especially when I was younger, they wanted to know about, you know, picking up girls, you know, talking to them. I said, you know, you, it's a balance. You have to know the right thing to say, but you also have to know when to shut up because you can talk your way into something. And if you continue talking, you can talk your way out of it, right? You can blow it up. And that's the same here with this thinking and, and analyzing, even, you know, to yourself, you'll think about it, think about it, you'll, you'll end up talking yourself out of it, or, you know, time marches on and, and, you know, um, I'm good with like not keeping in touch with people, right? And you know me, how many people in my life have died, it's extraordinary. And I sometimes have regrets because now I, I wasn't in touch with everybody, okay, um, you lose touch. Or you just, I'll do it tomorrow, or, ah, you know, they know I care about them, and I don't need to call them today. And that's, you know, I, that, that's a big flaw in me. You know, I really need to keep in touch with people, um, you know, because things things can happen. You know, they can either pass away or maybe move or change their number or this or that. You can't get a hold of them. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad you guys did this. Uh, and the next time I see you, Joe, hopefully soon, so we can film some stuff for the membership uh, site, you and I can talk more about this, uh, you know, over pizza or whatever. 
Absolutely. Yeah. No, that'd be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And it's funny. I was thinking about you because I know you're such a city guy, even more so than me. I was like, man, what, how would Tony do out here? I kept trying to picture it. And, uh, you know, at first I was like, oh, he would, he, you know, he'd probably hate a lot of the stuff, but, uh, but then I was thinking about like, you know, even you get something from it, like where you're living now. Like, I know you like being out on your porch and just being out and, you know, looking at the lake. And, and I mean, so even, even a city guy like you, there's some aspect of the natural world that has a positive impact on you. I think that's just, you know, even to the most, you know, hardcore urban dude. Well, it's the knowledge base, you know, you're, you're going to be gaining quite, I mean, you know, like really quality knowledge. There's something intoxicating about learning something that that's at, at a world-class level. Okay. It's not some putz that's teaching you this. It's a, it's a court <laughs> of guys that know what they're doing at the highest level. That in itself, you know, um, is awesome. And, you know, and I could probably relate with like my knowledge and the, a lot of it is like, so I'll have the mindset, right? Because urban combat or urban survival and, in you know jungle survival uh, it's all about survival but the difference is you know i don't have the i have the mindset i'd be there for the skill set you know how do i build the fire or how do i make this uh you know earthen tent or or whatever um which i think would be like really cool and um you know i'm all about improvised weapons you know assessing a situation you're at a bar you're in a restaurant you're wherever and you, you have to quickly think of how to make a weapon. Well, it would be the same thing. The, 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 the principles are all the same. Uh, how do I make a, you know, I, I need to find, uh, you know, branches or whatever. So I think I would probably adapt. It, maybe not as quick as others, but the mindset would be there. I would just have to get acclimated to, uh, you know, the, the climate more than anything, you know, the, uh, the surroundings. And that's what I found too, is that like the first 48 hours and granted, I've done this once before. So I kind of had an idea what I was getting into, but there was a certain point where I had adjusted, you know, to like not having access to hot water, not having access, you know, you know, it's not sleeping, sleeping on the tent or whatever, but within 48 to 72 hours, I was like, Oh, this is the new normal. I could get used to it. Yeah. You know, like I could go on it now. Granted winter would come and it would change the, obviously the, you know, but if, if thing, everything's staying the same, I could keep going on like this. And I was thinking about there's, I mean, there are physical skills. And I think like in some ways, like your knowledge of body mechanics, like how, to, you know, how to position yourself to, to get the most leverage for when you're building a fire, things like that, because your body is, it, it is a physical activity. And I do think there are probably going to be crossovers of, you know, how you use your, how you use your leverage and how you use your body mechanics to set up a submission is going to be, the, you know, you can use that knowledge to translate, well, how, how can I mo most get the force I need, you know, onto the spindle to get friction? Like I, I could see those, those things coming quicker to you. And just knowing your body too, we're like, I can feel I'm putting my weight down here too much or too little. And that sensitivity. So there is crossover even in that realm. I would think that certain things might come quicker than you imagine. Yeah, I it, it may. You know, uh, you know, after yeah, who knows? Maybe somewhere now. The only I'm not procrastinating, but you know, I can't just leave for two weeks because of my right. mother. You know, maybe that'd be something I'd look into down the line or something similar. Um, but yeah, no, I I think. He, so I'm very science-based. You know that everything with me is really scientific, and you know you got to have the the uh, structure to everything. You got you got to know every little detail, and that's what this sounds like. You know that this is one of those detail-oriented things. So just for that, I would um, 
I would dig it. You know, that, that to me, I can tell that it's, you know, like great training. You know, there's a lot of great athletes out there that can't coach, right? They, they just do things out of rote memory and it works for them. And sometimes it's hard for them to, um, you know, transmit that information. So while they may be good, uh, doers, you know, they, let's say a pool player can, you know, da, 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 can they, can they teach? And this group here sounds like not only are they doers, but they can teach. And so that's what you want when you're, when you're going someplace to learn, you don't want to have it be just an exhibition where the guy's showing off. You can he, can he teach, you know, that, and so this sounds like a winner. This, this program here to me sounds great. Yeah, it was. I mean, I'm really happy to do it and I, I hope to be doing more of it in the future and like, yeah, more people to come along. Cause yeah, like I said, I, I think everybody could get something out of it for sure. And it is to me like a kind of a fundamental human skill, honestly. I mean, it's part of our, you know, one of the things they said is like the natural world is our birthright, you know, and you should feel at home there. Ideally, we all, most of us have been removed because of the way society works or whatever, but ultimately, I mean, I agree with that, that perspective that, I mean, that's, and that's. And and the inverse of that, there's a lot of country bumpkins and, you know, uh, rural, right. That especially living out here, they think that going to Chicago is like going to, you know, Afghanistan or something. They're afraid of the city that this and that. And they could deal with a urban course, okay? Yeah. How to, how to navigate streets, how to, you know, this and that, how to, um, you know, there is, because I always thought about years ago, um, back in the mid-2000s, like 2005 or six, I thought about that, um, about uh, doing a course, let's say you come out here for a weekend, three days or something, and I teach you how to go to for example, a Polish nightclub, right, or whatever, where nobody's speaking English, right, or a roughneck part of town, or, a, 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 you know, put you in, put us in tenuous circumstances, right, and, and just so your body feels it, and you, you get that true rush of, of, of adrenaline, and, and then, you know, you'll, you'll be safe because I'll be able to handle the deal. I thought that was pretty awesome, and then other things along that lines about really how to cope with, with the city, little tricks on how to get around in your automobile. And, um, but <clears throat> the girl that I was with at that time, yeah, and she's like, you know, you guys aren't going to bars every night. No, this ain't happening. So, all right, I didn't do it. But those are things too. Cause yeah, there's a lot of people that just don't um, believe it or not. Just don't, they have misinformation or fallacies or myths about big cities and, uh, some of it's true, but most of it is, you know, exaggerated. So that'd be cool to do. And, and I think it is a perfect analogy because just like people will miss out on the natural world because of fears or uh, misunderstanding, you will miss out. I mean, the urban areas have a lot to offer. There's a lot of art and culture and wonderful things there. You know, your feather mankind. And if you're, and if all you think about is the news headlines and it keeps you out from missing those experiences. I mean, there's just so many different things to experience you know, in like a world-class city like Chicago, restaurants, you name it, the theater. But if you're just like, oh, I don't need that, or I'm afraid of it, or, you know, you get, so it's exactly complimentary, you know, there, if, if you know what, how to deal with it, where to go, then you, you won't miss out on those things. You know, why cheat yourself? Well, teaching them awareness, you know, a lot of people 
that's a buzzword, right? I told you that ridiculous Navy SEAL video, you know, you can say, well, you have to be aware. No, people don't know. What does that mean? How are you, how do you become aware? And this is, these are skills that I know urban wise, not wilderness wise, uh, of how to watch when you see a group maybe starting to develop. Okay. Because a lot of times you're not going to have a group of four people walking shoulder to shoulder, right? They may be, you know, across the street. One, one is across the street. One, the other one's on the other side, or maybe one up in front, one up in back. You kind of have to be alert and watch if they're, if they're starting to swarm uh, and you're the prey. There, there's so many little subtleties like that. And again, you gotta, you have to see this and, and realize where can I duck out of this? Like Dwayne said earlier in this podcast about getting out of the situation completely. How do I do this? Right. Um, where do I go? Uh, one of the ridiculous things this Navy SEAL said was trying to like recruit people to help you if you have to fight. Um, you know, like you go into a store and now you're going to try to ask people, strangers, to help you fight. Okay, so you don't want to take advice from this guy because that's, you know, you can't bank on that, right? You just need to know how to escape, um, evade. Uh, and this is all military stuff, evasion and escape. That's part of it. Um, and in an urban situation, there are things that you can do. You know, uh, understanding, for example, alleys, if you're in Chicago, how you can maybe make an alley work for you, how an alley can work against you, how a mm -hmm. store can work for you, how a store can work against you. So quickly, uh, if you're in a building, if, if there's a bunch of deep-seated, you know, deep buildings in Chicago, um, ducking into one of those, and they see you ducking in, if they're after you, you know, you got to be able to, you know, you got to come out eventually, right? So are there other options? The minute you're in that store, is there a back way out, okay? Take it if you can. What's the worst that's going to happen? The, the owner of the store is going to call the police, well, that's not a bad thing, especially if you're getting stalked, right? So tricks like that. And there's many that, I, that I've learned through the years that I think would be cool. We're getting off the track, but anyway, I'm done. <laughs> I think you're onto something, Tony. Well, nobody's doing it. You know, anybody yeah. can make a video claiming, oh, you know, titling it, I was an airborne ranger or I'm this or that. That's got nothing to do with urban in America and, you know, and all of that jazz. And yeah, especially if you're a, 130 pound, 120 pound woman, um, you know, it doesn't matter. All of these strategies apply to if you're as, as, as giant as the big show or if you're as small as, you know, Billy Barty, you know, they'll all work because it, it, it's not relying on, on any necessarily on your physical skills. It's, it's on your mental skills here. And, um, and like Dwayne said, don't walk at a 45 looking down. Always look around and, and look around naturally. Get into the habit of it, you know, and, it, and it's not paranoia anymore, okay? If you're in the habit of always, like, looking around, oh, okay, you know, seeing, seeing everything, become very observant. Um, we've talked about this once before, how I could take somebody, I could go to their apartment or their house and take them into their back room 
sit them down in their house and ask them, tell me everything that's in your living room. Everything. Every name of the book, if you have books, this, that, every knickknack, tell me. The, you know what? Most people cannot do that. They'll forget. They'll this because they take it for granted, right? In their own house, they're not even totally familiar with their surroundings. You can't be like that. You got to know where everything's at because it develops, uh, you know, skill sets. And the quicker that you can analyze shit, you know, boom, you're a winner. You're going to be safe no matter where you're at. Anyway, never mind. I'm done. Nice. Well, no, we've gone and this has been like a good 90 minutes or so. And I yeah, think it's a good place to wrap up. Maybe I think that was a good observation. Dwayne, thanks for coming on and uh, sharing your insights and army stories. Um, yeah. Hopefully we can have you back. I think that would be great. Um, you're always welcome, of course. Yeah, let's, set a, let's schedule it for a week uh, after, you know, right after the Ohio State Buckeyes beat Michigan. Ha! <laughs> You know, which will be pretty much the time they play, right? So, you know. Well, no. Well, we'll see. This is our year this year. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Well, Tony, Nico, Joe, thanks for having me. Oh, we hope to have you again. And, yeah, Nico, I'm glad you were able to pop in. Yeah, it was very yeah. Cool. It was great to meet you, Dwayne. Nice. Same here, Nico. All right, guys. I will see you guys all next uh, next week. Yeah, have okay. a good one, guys. All right, guys. Bye. 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 Thank you.